Welcome to the Carolinas, where serial killers, abductions, and mysterious circumstances are abundant. Join me, Tiffany, and my co-host Sam, two moms, as we cover local true crime cases that will leave you wanting more. Tune in every weekend for our new episodes where we rotate between North Carolina and South Carolina true crime cases. Find us on all major podcast platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio, and follow us on our social media. We're on Instagram at Cola City Crime, and you can find our Facebook page by searching our name, Cola City Crime. question i definitely had like i know pretty much i haven't read up on their case in a long time but like i know the basics of it like pretty much like you said everything that's out there that's been public which um i find it crazy how you know because it always paints him as you know the leader behind all of it but what made like Uh how did you guys meet and like when did you guys meet and stuff to you know say hey you want to do this type of thing Okay, so a few a few years ago, probably had over two years now, we were way way before we knew that Hulu was working on a documentary called uh, City of Angels, City of Death that just came out uh, pretty recent. Um, but way before we knew about any of that, I'm from Los Angeles, born and raised, I've lived there my whole life, and um, I was always fascinated with all the serial killers in Los Angeles in from like the late 70s to the early 80s. There was just a whole bunch of serial killers I'm sure you guys all know, but just to refresh your memory, God, there was Rodney Alcala, there was the Toolbox Killers, there was Randy Kraft, there was the Freeway Killers, there was the Hillside Stranglers, and you had Carol and Doug, and there was mm-hmm. some other ones, Jerome Van Houten, and, and there was a few others, but but those are the, the heavy hitters. So we started, we wanted, started off to do a documentary on what was the common thread between all these people. I mean, there was, you know, there was, there's been a lot of uh, other shows and things that, that kind of roughly connects them, but there was just something going on in LA at that time that made us like the serial capital of the world. So we wanted to dig into that. So we wrote to a few of the killers and Doug, uh, me and Doug, uh, started talking 
and I gave him my phone number and he started calling me and talking to Doug. I mean, when I first reached out to Doug, I thought he was guilty as all sin. I thought he was, you know, he was, there was no doubt about it. And, and, uh, over these long conversations, Doug and I were having, he started telling me about the things that happened in the case that I was never aware of. I have always known the story that the, uh, LADA and people like Luis Farr have put out, and that's all I really knew. And Doug started telling me all these things about things that were suppressed, things that were um, uh, suppressed in court, and things the LAPD were doing during the investigation, and some of the other people involved in the case that were uh, very well hidden, I should say, in the case. So it just... it. it Turned really, it just turned into this this snowball of okay, there was major cover up here, and we started getting documents in the mail from Doug, and we started getting uh, uh, from from some of Doug's other contacts, we started getting cassette tapes of these interviews with Carol Bundy, and it just snowballed into this this thing of like, well, we think this guy's telling the truth. I mean, it really is starting to look like it. So that's how it started. And like I said, that was like well over, that was two years ago. And, and just throughout, the more things we're learning, it's the more it's just coming out that there was a major cover-up here. And Doug isn't the, the Sunset Strip Slayer. But um, like, I want to make it crystal clear. Like, we aren't, we weren't, we're not out to, to make Doug uh Saint. We're not mm-hmm. out to to get Doug back out on the street. We're not out to do anything but go to the truth of the matter of what happened in that case, what actually happened in that case. That's what we're doing here. And Doug is involved with us so uh, so closely and part of the podcast because he's trying to clear his name. So we all have our, our reasons for wanting to do this. So, but it's not at all what the uh, media and the LAPD and the LADA's office, what what uh, the story they put out. I mean, it's as ridiculous as the helter-skelter myth of the late 1960s. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he, Doug's been locked up for what? At, I know at least 40, 40 years. He's been arrested since uh, for 42 years yeah. from this August. He'll be 42 years he's been arrested. And he's been on death row now for, I believe, 39 years. Or no, uh, 30, 39 years, 38 years. Uh, he's been on death row for 38 years. Like, what, like, why, like, did they go after him? Was it just... Like kind of the whole aspect uh, of you know him being the man and stuff, saying that only a man could do. Because I know the the uh, murders and stuff are pretty pretty gruesome. Yeah. Well, first you have to go back to this kind of why the LAPD basically had the cover up in the first place, and there's a lot more to it. But I'm going to simplify it as as much as I can without it getting confusing. Um, the head detective was a woman by the name of Margaret York. And she was, uh, she ultimately was married to Lancito, but at the time she was dating Lancito, the judge, in the OJ trial. So uh, someone that had killed 
uh, the pair of sisters with these ravens, these 25 caliber ravens. Um, and Carol was also calling the police at the same time, toying with the police about these murders. Well, Margaret York, when it was time to, to pull and see who had bought ravens in the time frames in a certain area, um, there was about, I believe, six, six or ten people on that list, um, Carol being the only female. Um, Margaret York said, check them all out, but don't check the women because women don't do crimes like this. So that's where the first major mistake was. Now, keep in mind, checked out Carol right then and there. There'd be five people walking around on this earth today that is that the murders wouldn't have happened. A lot of the murders, the majority of the murders wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. But now you get to Carol killing who we believe is her co-conspirator, co-conspirator Jack Murray. She killed him, and because she killed him, we believe that that's why Doug took fit into that place because the actual co-conspirator was was murdered and dead. So you can't convict a dead man. So they needed a male for these killings. They needed to convict a male. And the LAPD was already taken in the chin for the Hillside Strangler case. And I'm sure you're familiar with that, where mm-hmm. they were they killed, I think, something like 17 girls around L.A. And Kenneth Bianchi moved up to Washington State. He killed two more girls up there, and it was Washington State that caught him and sent all his information down to LAPD. So it wasn't even LAPD who caught the, who caught the Hillside Stranglers. So here you have a new set of murders that happened, and... They can't take it on the chin again for these murders, as well as the blunder by Margaret York um, by not investigating Cheryl Bundy. So that's kind of been in a nutshell how Doug got uh, kind of raveled in this by as far as the police uh, looking at Doug and to 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 bust uh, Doug in this because you know one of the first things they said to Cheryl Bundy when they took. Uh, uh, Carol into a, 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 a interrogation room is they told her, look, we don't have a case on Douglas Clark. There's no physical evidence of him at any of these murders. You're saying he was involved in. Help us build the case. And those were their first words to Carol Bundy. So you could see where LAPD's mind was at at the time of all this. So they kind of used her to get the story well, to help them make the story to get Doug convicted. Absolutely. Absolutely. They used Carol. And basically, like what Doug has said for 40 years now, over 40 years, is is that if you take away Carol says from anything in the case, you have no case. And, it, it, and, and now, in the meantime, uh, they did a lot of dirty, dirty things in court. Um, they they messed with Doug's rights a lot, and they did a lot of dirty things in court to convict him uh, for that jury, in front of that jury. And we can go into that as we, we talk a little more, but yeah, it was, it was a railroad and a cover-up, definitely. I have no doubt in my mind, I mean, I would bet all the money to my name, uh, to my family's name, I would bet that it was that I'm 
certain about this. I mean, there is just no doubt about it. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to get this evidence out to the public to, for them to know what actually happened in that case and, and how people are so easily interchangeable in these, in these murder cases when they need a conviction. Yeah, I find that I find that interesting. Like, which I know a lot of the issue you guys probably run into is where you know he's uh, labeled as a serial killer. Like nobody, everybody's going to be like, you know, it's you know that long ago. Who cares? You know, he's like, what yeah. doesn't matter anymore? So yeah. I'm sure you get a lot of that. Um, so you, you know, what we get a lot of what we really get a lot of is we get a lot of like, well, that took. You know, there was some pictures of Doug molesting a, a 12-year-old little girl. And mm-hmm. there was, there was, you know, he, he deserves to be where he's at because he molested a 12-year-old little girl. Well, first of all, it wasn't that cut and dry. I mean, even the little girl went on the stand and said Doug never had sex with her or anything like that. It was uh, someone that the, the young girl was having, a, a, was being groomed at, by Carol and Carol had, was having a lesbian affair with this underage girl. Uh, Carol even took her to a therapist for the therapist to tell, she wanted the therapist basically to tell the young girl that it's very normal for people to be in love and age doesn't matter and it's very normal what they're doing and the therapist wouldn't. Fine, this is like the late 70s, so you know the, the, the therapist doesn't call CPS, they don't do anything. But this is all in, on record, too. This is all in the record in, in this So basically what happens is, and I'll just make this real this part real quick, but Doug came home drunk when he was staying with Carol. Uh, he sat on the couch, this girl, Carol has this girl dressed up in garter belts and, and all these things, and, and the girl sits on Doug's lap, and uh, Carol starts snapping all these pictures. Well... Doug says, yeah, and I, I can't get involved in this. Come on, come on, get off me, get off me. This, I'm not going to do this. And goes into his bedroom. Next morning, he's sober, and he realizes she has these pictures. And that basically how Carol got Doug. The blood. Just ridiculous. Like, these families deserve to know, man. God forbid these were one of my children that were murdered. I would want to know exactly who did it. And I think it would be comforting to them in a way to know that the person who raped and killed their their children had his head cut off in his own van. And I know that sounds crude, but I mean, this is the truth needs to come out. And that's what we get a lot of. We get a lot of people saying like, oh, well, Doug Clark's a, a son of a bitch and he deserves to be where he's at and blah, blah, blah. Well, that's fine and well and whatever. Yeah, Doug Dirt deserved to serve time in prison, and I don't have any doubt with that. That was stupid. He shouldn't have entertained that at all, but doesn't make him the killer in the case. Why did he, like, stick around with Carol? He didn't. That's the thing that another thing that is, is uh, uh, something that the story is all wrong. Oh. After that happened with the young girl, Doug was like, man, I don't want to be messing around with this shit. I don't want to be hanging around with this this fucking this lesbian love affair with an underage girl. Fuck this. I'm so he basically split. He left the situation and he started staying at different women's houses. We have that. We Jack called her a master or Carol called Jack Master, and it was no around the whole bar scene that all of them were part of. It was no. Uh, it 
was no secret that Carol was was uh, Jack's slave. I mean, that's the kind of relationship they had. So that's Carol was all wrapped up in the Jack. She was all wrapped up in the Jack, and Doug was just living his. He, you know, he thought he would outsmart Carol by getting those pictures from her, and to his go to prison as a sex offender. So he was trying to get these these pictures. That's why he continued to hang around with Carol and things like. Oh, they weren't lovers. There weren't. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of living uh, conditions together. There wasn't. Nothing like that. Now, by the time of the arrest, uh, Doug had his stuff still at, at at her apartment. He had like a, like I said, he had a motorcycle, and he had a lot of stuff still at, at her apartment. They they were able to go and get all of Doug's stuff out of Carol's apartment, but it wasn't. Doug was a vagabond living at a lot of places, not specific, uh, not a. Uh, 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 just the Carol's, not, um, that wasn't the only spot he was living at. So sorry to be long with it. I'm just trying to explain this as, as best as possible so you can, you can get the picture, like a picture could start developing for you. So like basically from that, those, from that incident on is basically just a complete, like you said, just fabricated. So that, that kind of that yeah. definitely puts like a really big damper into the whole case. Um, what was the? Uh, I know you said where he had sent you like documents and stuff. Like, what was the? Was like the first thing you read? You thought thought he was innocent, or is there like one particular thing in that that you're like, wait, uh, he's you innocent? Know, what, the, first of all, the the things that we, the first things that I could say that really got our suspicions was hearing Carol in her own words, hearing Carol in her own words being interviewed by somebody who thinks Doug is, that the story is, and she interviewed Carol extensively. And I heard one of the tapes, we have one of the tapes of, of the interviews. And Carol, in her own words, the things she says doesn't make any sense. It doesn't, it, it completely blows the hole into what she said in court, in the court documents that we have. It blew Carol's own words are the first things that made us think like, whoa, wait a minute here. We need to look back in this and really see what the hell is going on here. Then it turned into looking at, at uh, transcripts from court and things like that. Those were the things that started coming out and being like, okay, the things that were said in front of them and knowing that uh, uh, that it was bogus, uh, but the people were used to uh, speak in front of the jury and, and testify in front of the jury. Um, and then when it comes to what they're saying is absolutely false. But they knew that. They knew the charges wouldn't stick on Doug for those attempted murders. They knew they wouldn't. They served their purpose. They were able to speak in front of the jury and get a conviction on Doug. So things like that, those are some of the big things that came out where it's like, whoa, okay, I see what they did there. This is really... And if you're with the coroner's office, L.A. County, LA County coroners, trying to get Jack Murray and Etsy Wilson's, uh, uh, Etsy Wilson being one of the prostitutes who was decapitated, and Jack Murray being uh, the Carol's lover, who was, we believe, is the co-conspirator, Carol, the killer, actually. Um, they were both decapitated. And so we tried to get Jack's first. They said, we have it. It's in our computer. No worries. We'll get it out to you. Then they called us back and said, the autopsy report is missing. 
but it's not here. We don't know what happened to it. It's not here. It's, it's not in our files. It's missing. <laughs> so we said, okay, then let us get Ed C. Wilson's. That was the other second decapitation in, of the case. Uh, they said, okay, it's in our computer. We'll, we got it. We're going to, but just so there's no mistake, and this was just today, mind you, just so there's no mistake with Ed C. Wilson, like what happened with Jack Murray, we're going to walk back while you're on the phone and we're going to check. We'll make sure everything's good. They go into the file. There's nothing in that file. There's nothing in it at all. There's no death certificate. There's no autopsy report, nothing. So two of the victims that were decapitated, there's absolutely no record, uh, medical record or death certificate for them. So now we have to try to go through the families to try to get that information. But Jack Murray has been, his files have been so sealed. I mean, Jack Murray is a ghost. Um, trying to find anything out about him. <clears throat> and it was like that during Dutch trial. <clears throat> so with, when did you say that Jack was, what, when was his murder? Like what year? Uh, Jack's was, okay, so Jack, okay, the, the weird thing about, well, not the weird thing, what happened with Jack is, this is where Doug, Jack's death was the second to the last murder. Uh, in the in the sunset case, it was it was one of the last killings. Um, this Jack's murder is how Doug found out about uh, the killing that was going on. This is where Doug, for the first time, Doug found out. Um, Carol and Doug had a go-go dancer girl from Hollywood staying with them, a friend of theirs that was a local at the bar scenes, and one night her and Jack and, or uh, not Jack, Doug and this go-go dancer, her name is Nancy, were at Carol's house. Well, sometime in the middle of the night, Carol gets up, goes to the bar that Jack used to sing at, uh, tells Jack she wants to see him outside, she wants to talk to him, this, that, and the other. They go in Jack's van, parked on the street from the bar, go in Jack's van, and that's where she kills Jack and chops his head off. Meanwhile, at home, Doug is with Nancy at home. And Nancy has a seizure. Doug has to call the paramedics for Nancy. He's calling the paramedics, calls the police, everything. The police show up with the paramedics, and they're working on Nancy. Well, Nancy, while they're working on Nancy, Carol comes home, and Doug's looking like, hey, I thought you were here. Doug didn't know anything that she even left. They leave, they take Nancy to the hospital, they leave. Doug tells, or Carol tells Doug, I need to see you outside, come down to the car with me. I killed Jack. And Doug said, what are you talking about? You killed Jack. He said, I killed Jack. She takes him down, opens up the trunk of her car, and he's looking down into a bag. She's like, look at that bag. And he's looking down, he's looking down. He sees something that resembles a neck bone and he pops his head out real quickly out of the back and starts vomiting all over the sidewalk. She says, I can pin this murder on you because I have Shannon's pictures, Shannon being a young girl. I have her pictures. And who's going to believe that a woman chopped a guy's head off? If you go to the police about this, I promise I will go to the police with those pictures and I'll say you killed Jack. So at that point, Doug got really nervous. He was scared. He said, okay, whatever you want. Well, Jack Murray had stolen like $20,000. In the meantime, he had stolen like $20,000 from Carol. Um, so 
but Doug just thought, okay, Cheryl lost her mind. She killed Jack. She was in rage. He knew uh, he owed Cheryl a lot of money. So uh, he thought that was it. That was That's how he found out that Cheryl was killing people. That's how he found out that... So he knew, okay, it's only a matter of time before the police go back to Carol. People saw her leave the bar with him, everything. This is, the cops are going to get Carol. I got to get those pictures within that time. Well, then Carol set up another time, and there was one more murder that, uh, that Doug actually witnessed Carol shoot somebody, and then the arrest happened shortly after that. And something that the police that that the public doesn't know about when it comes to the arrest. And if I'm jumping around, just just stop me. But something people don't know about it, about the arrest is that the morning of Doug's arrest, he called the police department, LAPD, and said, "Look, I have information about some murders. I need you to come and see me. I run a boiler, so I can't stop and get away from the boiler during." my hours during my work hours, but come and see me at lunch and I will, I have a lot of information for you. So Doug had the guns at his work. So he hit him and he, he hit the guns and he was going to give them to the, to the LAPD. Um, they came at his lunch and instead of questioning him, they just put him in handcuffs. So at that point, Doug lawyered up. So anybody who's familiar with the case, they always say, well, why did Doug hide the guns? Why did Doug hide the guns? Well, he only hid the guns because he was going to give them to the police. Had Doug been the killer, Doug would have gotten rid of those guns, and they would have not been at his work. They would have been in the ocean somewhere, you know, down the street from, you know, 10 miles from where they lived. I mean, they would have been in the ocean. Nobody would ever found those guns if Doug was a killer. Um, is there any like um, key players like from the trial and stuff still alive, like or any of the uh, police and stuff still alive? There, there are there are still a few witnesses that are still alive. There are still um, there are still some detectives that are still alive. There are still um, witnesses that that say Doug was with them the night of. Uh, a few murders that uh, there there's still a few alive. Yeah, so there are still quite a few people alive in this case. The two killers, the two actual killers, they're both dead. They're yeah. both dead. Of course, Jack being Carol's victim and Carol dying of diabetes in prison. When did she? Was it? I know it was two. I I think she died in two thousand three. I want to say she died in two thousand three, and she was up for parole in two thousand twelve. Okay, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I thought it was around that time. Yeah, that's crazy yeah. though. Um, do you think yeah. like with? Cause I'm not. I'm not too familiar with their trial, but um, so they had the witnesses that was you know, alibis for Doug there at the trial, like saying, "Hey, he was with mm -hmm. us and stuff." So like, they were suppressed. They were suppressed. The, uh, the if, mm. for instance, one of the one of the killings of of uh, one of the prostitutes, they said that that uh, Doug. Doug was at a party in um, at a bar way across town, nowhere near Hollywood. Um, he was at a, a a party, a bon voyage party for this couple. He wrote them a check, and he he said, you know, whatever. 
just do whatever the amount of the check was. And Bon Voyage was in the the the, uh, the subject matter of the check and or the memo part, I should say. And then um, they had them, and they moved out of the country somewhere. Well, Doug, the judge, uh, Doug's judge wouldn't allow a phone call to be placed out of the country because he said it would cost the taxpayers too much money to call and say that for them to testify over the phone and say, yeah, Doug was with us. He gave us a check. We have the check, all this. Doug had the check, got a copy of the check. The check wasn't, wasn't uh, allowed in the court. Um, the bartender that was at work in the bar that night at that same, at that same party, he was, uh, all set to testify. The judge didn't allow him to testify. Um, the judge didn't let him mention Jack Murray's name in court. Uh, there was so much stuff that was just, when we get to the trial, you really see how far they went to just suppress evidence, suppress evidence. Lots of evidence was suppressed and, 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 uh, and lots of, of, uh, witnesses weren't allowed to come in. And if they were, they were very limited on what they could say. It was basically you were given a yes or no, but you couldn't, like, for instance, uh, one girl had spent the night with Doug, um, a night of one of these murders. She, she, they spent the night together. In the morning, her friend saw them together, and both those women were able to go in court, but they weren't allowed to speak of the night that Doug was with them. It was just, you have to answer yes or no. That's it. They weren't allowed to say anything. The judge kept them very tight-lipped. Judge uh, uh, Doug was pro per, was doing pro per and handling his own case. Judge Tory, Doug's judge, pulled his pro per from him and said, uh, you're not handling your case well. So right before he was to bring up his witnesses, they pulled his pro per. The man who took over, the attorney who took over the case was, uh, was, was uh, Maxwell Keith, who was Leslie Van Houten's attorney back in 19, you know, 1970 or whatever that was, uh, that got her in a trial of in a, in a ineffective uh, counsel. That's what Leslie Van Houten got a new trial for. Because this guy is such an incompetent drunk. He was showing up to Doug's case drunk. So this is who they got to defend Doug after they pulled Doug's pro per and not letting him defend himself. Hmm. Do you think, the going back to the uh, death certificate and the autopsy, do you think like the detectives done something with them? We think that there, there was a, a, a criminologist from... Europe, who thinks that Doug is innocent as well, and that he's not the actual killer. He uh, started pulling records and asking a lot of questions, and we feel that once he started sticking his nose around, because he was someone with some pool, he wrote for various uh, news outlets, once he started Picking his nose around, we feel that that that's why the the there's no uh, those files aren't there. I think I think all the way back from the '90s, those files have been missing. I don't think it's I don't think it's because of us or anything. I think it was because of uh, Christopher Barry D. Um, why those files are missing? I think absolutely those files are missing because of that. 
Hmm. Yeah, especially if they've been missing, like you said, possibly in the nineties. That would be so. Yeah. So it definitely seems like they know that they definitely done done dug wrong, and just trying to yeah. you know find every way to kind of put a dead end at everything, till nobody can find anything else about it. And that and that's how it was with Jack Murray. I mean, you can't find anything about Jack Murray. You can't find anything at all. And I'll tell you what, just just so your listeners know and you know and everything, we there there's not gonna be nearly enough time in this interview to cover everything that, that happened. I mean, I know that just so I'm trying to give you just the highlights, but there is so many things here, man. There is so many things just like uh uh that happened. That that Jack that that it, it would just blow your mind. For instance, here's another thing you asked about: what was something that that made us think that the story was strange? About uh, uh, the story wasn't was it seemed what? Excuse me, I'm getting tongue tied here. Wasn't uh, uh, kosher? Let's say uh, in Jack Murray's van, they found uh, a piece of blonde scalp. It's a huge piece. It, it had to come from a dead body because I, I've never seen a scalp this big being taken off a person and that person lived. So in their, in his air conditioned vents, they found a piece, a huge piece of, of scalp with all these blonde hairs attached to it in the air conditioning vents. That was marked as evidence in, uh, in the file by probably a rookie cop or something. It was marked by evidence in the file, but they never uh, explained whose scalp that was. There's never been DNA tested. There's never been a blood test on whose scalp that was and why Jack Murray had it in his van. So that's one of the uh, big things too that made us like, whoa, and really start looking into all of Doug's claims. that alone why does a you know a normal a normal everyday citizen law-abiding citizen have a huge piece of scalp in the in his uh air conditioning vents yeah that is strange yeah that's yeah that's very very strange um and think. we have pictures of that scalp and we have pictures and uh they're basically pictures with no explanation from the LAPD from the LADA, nothing, never been addressed. Huh. Oh, that's that's definitely interesting. Um, yeah. I, I've watched some yeah. like interviews and stuff of Doug. Like, um, trying to think, I know it's on YouTube. But I think it was a part of something. I'm trying to think how long it was, but I know like a lot of people say that Doug comes off arrogant and basically says yeah. uh, that he's a liar and everything. Did he, did he do that with you at first or was he upfront about everything? No, not at all. You know, that, that interview, that, you know, the interview, there's only one interview that Doug's really done and it was for the serial killers. And that's the interview I'm sure you saw. He's wearing a white baseball cap and he has like this big sweater on and yeah, yeah, that's he's it. pissed. He's pissed because the agreements that were given for him to do that interview were pulled out when he walked into the room. He didn't know that the, the, it was going to be the way it was when he walked into the room. So he was pissed off. Plus, I mean, nobody listens to Doug. Nobody listens to him. So he basically had, you know, 45 minutes to an hour 
to explain his case, this complicated case and this complicated cover-up. And he came across just as somebody angry, and he came across almost babbling in sometimes because it's too hard to make sense of when you're talking fast and you're just trying to throw out as much information as possible. That's why I'm trying to go real slow with this interview right now. But even with this interview, I know I'm I'm kind of all over the all over the all over the place. So it, it, it's that's why Doug comes across the way he does. Everything else where where people get their their uh, uh, their their idea of Doug is all what LAPD says. He's the king of the one night stands. He he's a womanizer. He's all this. Well, you know, I. I've even badmouthed Doug's current attorney, who I refer to in, as, as I don't want to say on your show here, but I refer to as just something not very nice. And even Doug's kind of like, well, yeah, but, you know, I'm sure he's trying. And, you know, Doug's just, he's not a saint by any, I, I'm not saying he's some kind of like saint. He's made some mistakes, whatever. But he's not, a, a, he's not a, a, you know, I'm the smartest guy in the room. You're stupid. I know better than anyone else. He's always wants to hear like, well, what did you find? Or what did this person say? Or what did they think of this? And he's not, uh, he's not, when a, when a person only does one interview and the interview was just had some bad, uh, uh, you know, it was a bad kind of setup. It's just, it's, it's, uh, yeah, the person's not going to look like the nicest, and I'm not even trying to defend, defend Doug in this in this uh, in this particular part we're talking about. But it is what happened. That's exactly what happened. Very understandable. Kind of like in a lot of like media type, you know, documentaries, interviews. They really they go in painting a picture of the person, and they could edit it all out to make you know that picture of what they wanted to be that. So yeah, I could see exactly. where he could come off very, very hateful. Kind of like I was reading a lot. Yeah, I mean, well, look at look at what a liar they make David Berkowitz look like. You know, nobody yeah. thinks he's he's a, a born again Christian. Nobody thinks he's sincere about that because all the media says is, oh, he's a master manipulator and he's this and that and he's this, that, and the other. And it's like, no, David Berkowitz. I my personal opinion is David Berkowitz isn't. Isn't being uh, isn't lying about what he's saying. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I think it's funny that people, how people's attitudes are, just like how people are. You know, when it comes to David Berkowitz, and you know, people wait until Maury Terry's dead, and then all of a sudden, you know, everyone's an expert on the Son of Sam case. As soon as Maury Terry's out of the picture, everyone's an expert on the Son of Sam case. And you have all these stupid YouTube channels with the uh, uh, with all these experts on the Son of Sam case. And it's it's a it's a freaking joke, um, but that's how people are. You know what I mean? People have to just be smarter than everybody else. They have to be freaking one up on everybody else. And it, it's sad that that's the way. Uh, you know, people aren't helping any cause of justice or or uh, truth. They're just trying to help their own whatever their own BS. They're they're pushing it, and it sucks. Um, do you listen to podcasts much? Uh, I listen to some. I listen to some. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm pretty busy with my own. I have, I run a lot of different things, not just with like the duck stuff, but I do like some music stuff and things like that. So I, I'm kind of busy, but 
Yeah, I, I try to listen to uh, my friends run a few podcasts, and and they like my friend has an excellent podcast on uh, prosperity preachers that I follow religiously, no pun intended. Um, but yeah, I, I follow some. Yeah. Yeah, there's uh, one uh, called The Fence Diaries I listened to uh, a few months ago. Like They're in their second season, but the first season, he's the son of the defense attorney of John Wayne Gacy. And he basically, his, you know, his dad gave him like all these audio tapes, well, cassette tapes from when he uh, interviewed Gacy. And there's like unreleased, you know, unheard and everything. Well, some of the detectives actually opened up and changed the whole narrative of that story. And I find that interesting, you know, what you're doing with Doug's story. Like, you're basically, you know, you have all this proof and you're changing the narrative to somebody else. Which, Gacy was still, you know, convicted and he still killed the people, but the young boys yeah. and stuff. But his thing was the cops basically planted evidence to get him. And if that would have been, you know, presented back then during trial, he probably... Like what that gentleman said, that he possibly could have been, you know, got innocent on all that just due to them yeah, finding evidence. Yeah. So that changed the narrative and in that. That's the thing, though. I mean, look, if you, you, okay, yeah, we know Gacy's guilty, whatever. But the tactics police use, you can't tell me that the tactics that they use, they get their man 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. There's no way in hell when you're being deceitful and you're planning bullshit and you're 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 doing all kinds of underhanded stuff, you don't know if you're getting the right guy. I mean, yeah, Gacy, they know it's the right guy, but there's a lot of, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of other people, when you need a conviction, when you need to close a case, there is, there's plenty of people that, that, that probably have been railroaded by the system. Here's a good example. What about what they did with John Wayne Gacy? Or uh, not with John Wayne Gacy. We just talked about him. Uh, Henry Lee Lucas. Yeah. Henry Lee Lucas, to get out and get free cigarettes and get milkshakes and hamburgers, he was saying he killed all these people. And they killed, they closed so many cases knowing that this guy was full of crap and that he was lying and him and Otis Tool were lying. But they closed all these cases knowing that it was BS. Because ultimately, that's all the police want to do is close cases and get their lollipops for being a good detective in closing the case. That's all they're trying to do. And I think the truth takes it on the chin in a lot of times. I think the truth really takes it on the chin, and the victim's families take it on the chin because they don't know the actual story. And I think that's what happened in the Sunset case. I think that's what really is the whole crux of the Sunset case is that they wanted a narrative. They wanted to build a narrative so their own guilt didn't show. And they used Carol Bundy to be their little sock puppet. And that's what they sold to the, to the, uh, to the, to the uh, media and sold to the public and that's what the public eats and they don't question anything. I mean, I'm sure there's still people out there that still believe Vincent Bugliosi's uh, narrative of Helter Skelter, which is absurdity, complete absurdity, but there's people to this day that still believe, oh yeah, the, the hate killings were all about, you know, the, the race war and, and living in a hole and all this stuff. I mean, that's ridiculous. Um, yeah. Um, do you think any, like any of the detectives and stuff that are still alive, do you think they'll ever admit that they 
that they done dug wrong, or do you think they'll just kind of die and leave it leave it alone? Like us, who are trying to get that information out. I mean, I think it'll be people like us that will finally put a question behind everything that they've done and all their work, but I don't think they'll ever talk to us and be on the level about anything. Uh, Louise Farr, who wrote the book, The Sunset Strip Murders, she was, uh, my wife reached out to her and she answered my wife immediately. She was all ready to talk. She wanted to, she wanted to, uh, find out what we were doing in in our project and all this. As soon as she didn't even talk about it, but that's complete BS because Anytime anyone does any documentary on the Sunset Strip case, she's right there, front and center, telling her story about how Doug uh, was, was uh, oh, that's a complete fairy tale. In Carol's own words, that was a complete fairy tale. Um, um, excuse me. Yeah, like yeah, said, Sorry about that. Buddy. Oh, you're good. Yeah, like what you were saying okay. earlier, like, it's, like... We're from, you know, from a small area and, you know, you read a lot and it is crazy how a lot of police work is done because, like you said, they they seem to bend the laws and stuff to fit their narrative and they will literally change anything and everything just to get a a case to go in their favor. And it's it's I wouldn't say it's very common, but it's more than what people realize. Like you said, there's a lot of people that's in prison that's innocent for what they've done they were just kind of the target for maybe another reason or you know they were just a suspect somewhat and they just put because there's a gentleman that we might be interviewing well i'm in the work of interviewing him he's in prison he actually could get out but what i find crazy is like his crimes are pretty brutal but there is an but he killed his mother-in-law was the first victim and like he like he was pretty brutal with her and like basically said tried to set her house on fire maybe her body is what he tried to set on fire to try to burn you know everything down and he hit the neighbor of her got arrested for it like they were going to give him the death penalty for the case and this guy this guy like i said after he once he gets out he'd serve like as long as everything goes good he he gets out roughly 11 years and he'd be serving for like 40, 40 years in prison when they were going to give the other guy yeah. the death penalty. And they were saying, cause the guy had bit, had bitter and stuff and left his. So they were like lined everything up to fit this neighbor and like threw him under the bus. And it wasn't even him until the other guy got arrested for another murder. And they're like, Oh, all the, all the yeah, evidence goes that it's, way. It's exactly. I mean, that's what they do. That's what, I mean, I don't mean to keep going back on this, but man, I swear this case always blows my mind because it's just, it's so crazy that people still believe uh, the Berkowitz case. It's so crazy to me that people still to this day, I mean, there's a a YouTube channel, the serial killer one that has like the the serial killers dancing in the car at the end. It's like, oh, I don't, I don't know if if you've ever seen that, but it's a serial killer, uh, uh, YouTube channel, and they do pretty good documentaries. They do really good documentaries, and they did one about David Berkowitz, and I started watching it, and it's talking about, like, how David Berkowitz was the crazy guy, and he was talking to the neighbor's dog, and it just made me stop watching it, because I'm like, well, there goes your credibility. I mean, that's freaking ridiculous, man. There's so much proof that David Berkowitz was part of something much bigger than just himself, 
I mean, God, they have proof from North Dakota. They, there's people there that have that have said, yeah, I went on record saying, yeah, even the sheriffs there were saying that that John Carr, mm-hmm. one of uh, the the Carr brothers, was was a Satanist and was doing some crazy shit over there, man. So. My point is, is that, yeah, exactly. Whatever the narrative needs to be, people, once it gets sold to the public, man, they just stick to that. And the police know it, and they set it all up, and it's it's just, it, that's what it's, it, that's what in a lot of these cases, I think we're, we're really looking at. I think that's what we're really looking at in a lot of these cases. Because they don't, a, a lot of them, there's so many questions, so many questions, and you're just sitting there thinking, like, it's no wonder why you go down so many rabbit holes when it comes to serial killers, because there's so many questions, and the question, none of them seem to really make sense. Mm-hmm. Kind of like work, walk, walking in circles, basically, with some of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. You know, you, 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 there's just so much. I mean, there's things like the Franklin cover-up and things like that. There's just so many weird things that it's just like, I, I, I don't know, man. The older I get, the more I really believe just things aren't what I thought they were all these years. You know what I mean? Yeah, and one thing was, too, with like being in the true crime field, and, and like I've been writing to various killers for pretty much nine years, and yeah. like no matter what you seem to say, like, like not you know not defending them, but like no matter what, yeah. people would just be like, well, they're probably you know trying to brainwash you, manipulate you, and stuff like that. They're just lying. So yeah. I figure, like I said, you might they could say that with Doug saying, you know, he's just manipulating you guys. This is all just fake stuff he's sending you and doing just to try yeah. to prove he's innocent. Somebody told me that. Somebody said that, like, oh, you're just being fooled by a master manipulator. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, if he's a master manipulator, man, he sure. He sure got a raw deal if he's a master manipulator because, or he's a genius, a criminal genius who must be good at uh, telepathy and all kinds of other things because with the LAPD, what we're trying, what we're figuring out is it's no secret to the people who have had the documents in their hands. It's no secret what they did. The LAPD did some really bad, shady stuff, really bad. And... But yeah, that's what they say. Yeah, he's a master manipulator. You're just being conned by master manipulators. Like, well, you know, then what about these documents? The documents, you know, what about the scalp in the van? What about uh, how to fit all these other things? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Um, how does Doug actually like with him being on death row for so long? Like, how does he survive? Kind of that has to be mentally draining to. Well, especially with San Quentin as well. Like that's a uh, you always yeah. hear the bad stories out of there. I think it's just kind of like you get to. I think for for a guy like Doug, he's been there so long. I think he's kind of like just an old timer. Well, he is an old timer, so he doesn't get before that. You know, he hung out with you know during the nineties and stuff. He hung out with the people that were. Yeah, in charge with the same kind of stuff. You know, he used to play bridge with, with Randy Kraft and uh, 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 William Bonin and um, who was the, oh, and, and Larry Bittaker. You know, he used to play cards with them. You know, they were all there for the same stuff. And he would, I mean, he's told me before and, and he sent me some stuff with the, uh, Larry Bittaker and, and 
you know, some things like that of Larry Bittiger and Doug always used to tell Larry, he's like, yeah, you might put a bullet in your head. You know what I mean? It's like, that's, that's, uh, that's, you know, but you're, you, you have to, <laughs> you have to adapt to your, your surroundings. And if he's just housed with a bunch of serial killers, I mean, who are his friends going to be? Acquaintances going to be, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, but that's another thing we're going to get into in, uh, uh, in the podcast once we get over the case and everything. And we're going to, um, I think we're going to get just a little, little back up a little bit and just Doug's going to share stories about the, the various killers and that he was locked up with and things that happened with them. And he told me a funny story about Charles Ng the other day that was hilarious and, you know, just different stuff like that. But we're, we're really going hard on like the, the evidence getting out there. Um, because like, like I said, Doug wants his name cleared before he dies. I don't think Doug even wants to get out of prison. I, I think it's all he knows now. I don't think he has any, anything about, he's in his seventies. He has no, uh, you know, he has no, I don't think he has any desire to like walk as a free man again. I don't think he would even know how to, I think he would be, would be overwhelming to him. So, um, yeah, he just wants to clear his name, and we want the truth to get out there. Yeah, that's actually what I was going to ask you, is if he actually, you know, say he got his name cleared and was able to get out of prison, like you said, that's all he knows, which that happens with a lot of people, especially being in there that long. That's all you know, and yeah. the world has changed so, like, just within 10, 5, 10 years, the world changes, so you can imagine 40 years of it changing, or 42. Yeah. Like, so yeah, he it could be overwhelming, especially, you know, with him and older gentlemen. So I know, like, my grandma and stuff, she's in her late seventies and we try to help her sometimes with technology, but o- over her head. <laughs> and that's basically yeah, exactly. all the world is. <laughs> <laughs> it, well, here, here's a good example. Doug didn't even know what a cassette tape was. A few weeks ago we were talking and, and I was telling him about the cassette tape of Carol and he's like, you keep saying cassette tape. What's that exactly? Like, when I went in, there was eight tracks and there was records. And I'm all, well, there was cassette tapes, but maybe they were just like starting, they're just starting to come out, or I don't think they were real big sellers yet, but I, I don't know. He's like, what are, you, what are they? And I'm all, they're like little tapes, little mini tapes. And I had explained to him, basically, draw him a picture of what a cassette tape is. So, yeah, he, he's, yeah, he doesn't, it, it, it's a completely different world that he knows completely. I mean, yeah. he watches TV and stuff, but, you know, what are you going to learn from the TV? Yeah, whatever you learn there, it's different than living it when you're out there trying yeah. to. Yeah, because yeah, with, with cassette tape, which which records are coming back pretty big, but most people just just stream their music anymore, just buy it digitally and stream yeah. it. Yeah, it's a whole lot easier and less hassle. Um, before, uh, yeah. before we get off here, is there any last things you want to say? Just uh, if you have any information or you would like to contribute something, if you have anything that maybe you're sitting on that comes to the Sunset case, even if you think people already have it, whatever, um, reach out to us. You can find our email on our Spreaker's podcast, Dead Man Talking featuring Douglas Clark. And that's Doug's name. Doug wants to be. Uh, because I don't think he realized it's another big dead man talking podcast, but, but Doug chose that name. So 
point is, is if you want to reach out to us, you can find us there. Um, YouTube, we don't do much on YouTube. All we do is just kind of share things on there. We don't upload anything there. It's just when we when we post something on a, a Spreaker, we can we can click to share to YouTube. So we don't get a lot of hits or anything on there. But if you want to find us on YouTube, you can find us there, and it has our email address there. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Um, you can find us there. Check it out, and like I said, if you have any information that might be helpful to us, please reach out to us. If you have any questions for Doug or anything like that, reach out to us. He'll answer anyone's questions. He said he'd be more than happy to answer anyone's questions. And uh, that's pretty much it. Thanks for having me on, and thank you for giving me this time to, to share what our project's all about. Okay, that wrapped up our interview with uh, Dead Man Talking Podcast. Uh, what did you think about that? I thought it was all very intriguing. It's weird, like like I was saying in the document. I mean, not in the documentary, but in the interview, um, the whole thing with John Wayne Gacy, like the narrative of that and the fence diaries, like it didn't change, you know, the outcome because he was still guilty. But the narrative of the story in this actually could prove that a suspected serial killer is innocent of his crimes. Which, like we talked about, a lot of people is going to be like, oh, you know, it's a serial killer. But if there's document documents on it you know it kind of proves that he could be innocent and which it is interesting though which to talk about that real quick um that was an interesting point he made at the end with he don't want to be a free man which i guess so if you're in prison for that long you oh it won't be yeah. three years leave me there yeah like like he says all he knows and like said like he's probably too old now anyway he probably really he's Early, I think early 70s, mid 70s, 73 to 75, somewhere through there. But I think the only thing that like threw me off about everything was like the underage girl stuff. Like, I'm like, no shade, nothing against anything. I don't know. I can't wrap my head around it. It makes me feel weird. Like, I don't like, well, obviously, I, remember, I know people get falsely accused. Yeah. And, like, I understand shit happens. I totally get that, but like that's fucking weird. I don't know what to believe on that because fuck all that. I don't know. <laughs> well, what he said though was what Doug said that does make it interesting. Which, like what he said, you know, a woman grooming a child and you know, oh, I agree. Women definitely can be play a part in it, but I but don't, it sounds I don't know like, if I believe he's innocent of that. Well, he could be. Like that, it it sounds like. I don't know, after those pictures, it's kind of like, you know what I mean? Like, well, over, like blackmail. Like, like I over, understand like what held that saying, over, Like, held like, that over his head type thing. It's, it's all very possible. It's very interesting. I know you're still going to you're still gonna have the people. It's 50-50 on it, you know. I just feel like whether you're drunk or not, if you walk into an underage girl wearing whatever, no matter who made them do it, yeah. I wouldn't sit down. I wouldn't let them sit on my lap. I'd be like, what the fuck is your problem? Get the fuck out well, of my that's house. That's basically... And he left after that. Yeah, but, like to sit down with her. So like, I don't know. It's fishy. It's weird to me. Like, yeah. like I said, no offense to nobody, whatever. But like, fuck that. Yeah. But it, it's a. Uh, it's like I said. It's being in the true crime field. Like, like we've talked about before. It's always uh, a fifty-fifty thing, and you never know what you're getting into with stuff. Yeah, but I, it's a very, very like I said. We just you know talked for that's a touchy subject on a touchy case. Yeah, we just talked. You know for close to an hour and like he said there's so much to cover so it's very interesting i'm definitely have to like i've listened to the first episode a little bit but i need to really check it out because 
like I said, since I've been listening to podcasts more. Um, before we end this, not to go off topic too much, but uh, I do want to give a shout out to the Cola City podcast. As you notice, we have featured, we had a, we done a five episode uh, promotion with them, and this will be the last episode of that. But I've been listening to them. Um, as of this recording, I've caught up on all their episodes. And they're a great podcast to listen to, so I just wanted to shout them out real quick. Um, they made me laugh in their latest episode about a serial killer, uh, asking if I had wrote him, which I do. Ha- I do have him. I think I have a screenshot of him actually to write because I didn't know that he was still alive until recently. I thought he had passed away, but he's in his seventies, I think, as, t- as well. Go give him a lesson. Oh yeah, yeah. They they are two wonderful women. Um, it's kind of, kind of think, you see a lot of kind of us in them, just in a different, you know what I mean? Just in a different aspect. You know what I mean? <laughs> I guess. That's weird. Well, because, well, I think she goes by Sam. She, um, she is uh, interesting. She kind of reminds me of you at times. Just kind of straightforward about things. So, always enter- always entertaining. Always Make sure you listen to them. The advertisement is on there to comment. Yeah. But yeah, check them out there. Sorry, kind of lost thought, lost thought there for a minute. But to go back to the Douglas Clark thing real quick before we go. Um, what? I don't know. It, it's fascinating. The comment I want to make is, what if a lot of the things that we expected, you know, growing up with, you know, a lot of these big serial killers, what if their story, the narrative is different, a lot of them, like what he said, like, what if, because you really, nothing against, you know, any detectives or any police, anything like that, law enforcement, you know, but there's a lot of, you got your good ones and your bad ones, but a lot of times they, they're, it's sketchy, it's very sketchy, and, you know, that would be really weird if a lot of stories narrative start changing in the old cases like that because you know we're people's always ask questions but i kind of feel we're in that timeline you know what i mean yeah that timeline of like people really asking questions like you know the breaking uh, generation curses and all that with behavior of how you know grandparents parents you know raised you like you know being you know we're that well, I feel like generations like now, you know, we're questioning everything, changing things, and you know what I mean. Yeah. If that makes sense, but yeah, I just, <laughs> I just, I don't know. It's just a really like a thought I had while he was talking that, you know, we like that's because a lot of people don't look at that, but it is a big piece of history. Like it's dark history, but if it can be rewritten like that, that it could be really, really interesting (laughs) it could it could be really interesting but it's just it would be it would be crazy though to go back that far which i'm sure there's probably other serial killer cases that are well known like uh the sunset strip killers are and the whole narrative which i have a case file on harold bundy that somewhere but i don't know what i've done with it but i another uh female inmate that was in prison with her sent it to me but I have it somewhere. Cause I'll have to try to find it eventually. 
But uh, we thank you all for tuning in. Like I said, check them out and check out Cola City Crime. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode.